Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and I'll say that again. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And so, yeah, you guys, I missed you all last week. Last Sunday and Monday, I had intended to do a show, but there were so many other things that were taking place that I needed to, um, you know, deal with. So I apologize, but that's why we're here today. You know, this may end up turning into a three-hour show, especially in light of what is taking place right now. So for those of you who are not connected, you know, on any type of network, television, or, you know, social media right now, apparently there has been, you know, fire shot in Baton Rouge, um, Louisiana. They're saying three police officers are dead, three are wounded. And at one point they were saying that four officers died. So not quite sure what's happening, and one of the suspects um, they killed him, and so they say that the suspect wore black fatigues and had a rifle, and they're also saying that there are two additional suspects that they are searching for, and so, you know, that's what's happening now. You know, it's making the people in Cleveland a little nervous. They're asking um, Governor Kasich to suspend open carry. For those that aren't aware, Louisiana is an open carry state. So, and so is Dallas, and so is Ohio. So right now, you know, they are on heightened alert, you know, all throughout the country. But this is interesting because there were supposedly or allegedly three suspects that were part of, you know, ambushing these officers in Baton Rouge. You know, they said the same thing initially in Dallas. And how that went from three suspects to one individual who was bombed by a robot, and the people, the two or three people that they held, it, you know, um, in, in question, you know, they mysteriously disappear over in Dallas. So it's something not quite right to this situation here, but we will get to all of that, you know. So today, the show, we're going to talk about plantation politics. Sweet Nothings, and for those of you, you know, who are familiar with Sweet Nothings, those basically are when people promise you things or say you say things that mean absolutely nothing, but you love to hear it, and you love and you thrive off the hope that these words are true, and nothing ever manifests from them. And I feel that's where we are in this country as far as the current political climate is concerned, and this a lot that we need to unpack. And next week is going to be plantation politics, but we're going to tackle all lives matter next week. Um, and as a matter of fact, because of what's happening with the RNC this week, I definitely will be live tweeting, so that should be a lot of fun. But I may do a show Thursday to recap you know, uh, what took place at that convention 
And for those of you out there, you know, I'm planning my menu for the RNC. So we got some fried chicken, watermelon, and red Kool-Aid drank in a mason bar. That's part of the menu there. So, you know, I may do a show Thursday as a recap, you know, just for shits and giggles. But that's if I'm feeling like we all know all of this is dependent on my health. So, yeah, you guys. Um, a lot has happened. A lot has happened in the past couple of weeks, and, you know, I regret that I missed the show last Sunday, but, you know, it was, you know, I had to work on some other things, so didn't really have a choice. But, um, guys, open your eyes. Pay attention. Do you see what is happening right in front of you? And so it's interesting because, you know, um, you know, I have people that, you know, we communicate by various means. Um, and, you know, all I could do today when I was communicating with them was tell them to please be careful. And I'm saying that to you as well. Please be careful. Please be vigilant. Be aware of your surroundings at all times because, quote, it, end quote, has started. And I know some people are like, what is it? It is what is happening right in front of your eyes. And it doesn't matter if you're ready for it, if you're prepared for it, it has started. You know, and that was before today. So I just want to make sure that I make that very clear. And it is whatever you define it to be the way that I see it right now is basically, you know, we already live in two different Americas, right? Because there is one America for people of color. And there's another America for white people. And although you have some white people that feign ignorance, and, you know, for a while I gave them the benefit of the doubt, but not so much anymore. What happened to my tax? So, yeah, you know, not so much anymore. You know, white people are fully aware of what is happening and what is going on around them and what is going on around us. And, again, getting them to admit that there is racism in this country, systemic, institutional, what have you, that means they will have to admit that they have white privilege, which many of them do not want to admit. And there is a whole conversation that needs to be had just in you know, recognizing your privilege. That's that's a whole different conversation that needs to be had. But, again, you know, what's happening with many communities of color, specifically with black and brown communities right now, is that we're we're receiving these empty promises and sweet nothings from those that are, quote, unquote, in authority over us, right? And... You know, we've we've started tuning them out because it's just, it's a bunch of smoke and mirrors. And that's one thing that I must say 
that I give credit to. We talked about this last Sunday at my meeting, and basically, you know, some of the conversation went like, you know, we were proud of the fact that, you know, communities of color didn't fall for, you know, the bait and switch. And what I mean by that is, you know, we had protests breaking out all throughout the country, you know, in the past couple of weeks and even now. And what happened was they were trying to change the narrative. And so the narrative was trying to be changed from Black Lives Matter, other grassroots community activists and protests, you know, that were happening to five police officers were shot. So they were trying to change that particular narrative, but people weren't falling for the okie-doke, as I like to say, because we stayed focused on, you know, what was happening at hand. And our condolences goes out to the families of those, you know, police officers that were killed, you know, because, again, you know, I've, I've told you all my father was a police officer, And so, you know, there's a lot of history there. But, you know, you, yeah, our hearts go out to them. You know, no child, you know, should have to deal with watching their parents being buried due to, you know, senseless violence, if you will. And it's just, you know, it's really hard, but... Again, you know, one of the things that I stress is that we need to keep control of the narrative. This is important, you guys. You know, we have to write our story. You know, as a matter of fact, Black Lives Matter Chicago has a project called Our Story Shy. So you may want to look that up on Facebook, or I'll post the um, link to it a little bit later. But you can go and look it up, Our Story Shy. And, you know, we're encouraging everyone to tell your own story. No one can tell your story like you can. And it's important that you own and 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 take agency over the story that is out there about you, that you control it, that you direct it. And so, you know, we're sitting here and we're watching them as they're trying to flip the script. And people aren't falling for it, so, you know, we're really happy about that. But for those that have been, you know, pacified, if you will, by empty promises and sweet nothings, that continues to happen. You know, and and the majority of the time, these are groups that have been marginalized, other, you know, forgotten and discarded until they need your vote or they need your something. But otherwise, you know, you're discarded and, and... you know, you're silenced or they attempt to silence you. So, again, we need to pay attention to what's going on. And like I said, with Donald Trump, whether he's elected or not, his supporters are losing their dang on minds. They're out here going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. You hear me? So, yeah, pay attention because, you know, regardless if he wins or not, his people well, we won't even say his people, people that claim to be his people, you know, they've been given a voice, they've been empowered, and they've been emboldened. So, you know, how do we navigate that? How do we deal with that? How do we respond to that? 
those are questions that you need to ask yourself. These are things that you need to think about, you know. So, again, you know, I'm telling you guys, be vigilant, pay attention, ask questions, be skeptical, challenge, do all of that to everything. It is extremely important that, you know, we remember to do these things. So, you know, before I move on and start talking about the show, going deeply into the topic, I definitely want to remember Sandra Bland. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Sandra Bland was a woman from Illinois who went to Texas for a job, and the police pulled her over and basically they arrested her and she basically she died while in police custody and so again the police officer that arrested her has since left the police department he was fired i believe and now he's standing trial and so it's just the whole situation is just sad but it was the one year anniversary and Black Lives Matter Chicago, in conjunction with some other groups, um, Asada's Daughters, um, you know, in, in, in Project Nia, Chicago Light Brigade, all of those groups and others, you know, participated. If I forgot your group, CPAC as well, please forgive me. But, yeah, definitely. So it was the one-year anniversary, and so, you know, her life was celebrated, you know, with prayers and songs and you know, speakers, you know, that spoke to her truth. And so the hashtag for that is, you know, Sandra, yeah, Sandy Still Speaks. So you can go out there and look that up. And, you know, it was a beautiful cover story in the Chicago Tribune. If you go and look at the show notes, you'll see that I added the link to Sandra Bland's name. So that'll take you over there and you can take a look at the pictures that was held downtown in front of the Federal Center. And so, you know, there were other um, celebrations of Sandra's life here in Chicago, and they're still taking place. So I just wanted to make sure that you all were aware of that. And I also talked about in the um, show notes, Latasha Harlins, and this was a young lady in, you know, the Los Angeles area. And to make a long story short, this is the 25th anniversary of her death. And she went into a, a local store, which was, um, I believe, a Korean store, and she got some products, you know, that she was she was going to purchase some orange juice. And so she put it in her bag, and she was walking to the counter, and the store owner thought, the young lady was trying to steal, and so she she started grabbing her, and it turned into a shoving fest, and the store owner shot and killed her. And, you know, when they got there, they looked in Latasha's hands, and there was the $2 for the orange juice. She was going to pay for it. And so, you know, please, Read up on those stories, and there are so many more out there. But I want you to take some time out and read about different women whose lives have been taken, whether it's been taken by, you know, police, whether it's been taken by intra- or intercommunal violence. 
And that's one thing that I definitely want you all to pay attention to and to understand that, you know, you have people out here who are accusing, you know, a lot of these grassroots organizations and movements, you know, accusing them of being divisive. Number one, if if it's, you know, if they have black or Latino or Asian or what have you in front of their names. And I think it's important for you guys to do not allow them to corner you like that. You know, do not allow them to control that narrative. You owe no one any explanations as to why you may have black or Muslim or Latinx or what have you, you know, in front of the name of your group or organization. You owe them no explanations because, again, the default is white. And, again, you know, when I talk about what's happening in this country, it seems as though, you know, these people are hell-bent on forcing us to assimilate and subjugate ourselves to them. So, basically, they want us to encompass and, and be more like them. And so it's just it's mind-boggling. It really is. And I see you, caller, but give me a few minutes here. And, you know, it's just it's mind-boggling to see what has been happening, what has been taking place. But it's important that you guys know what's happening out here. There are a number of women that have been killed, you know, maimed in any number of things, um, and they don't get the, the recognition that they need. You know, one young woman, Rakia Boyd, who was from Chicago, was killed by senseless, you know, senseless, you know, gun activity and violence in Chicago. You know, it was an intra-communal issue. And pay attention to the language because with a number of these organizations, you know, they do talk about the crime that, you know, happens in their own communities. And so on the 24th of July, here in Chicago is going to be Ronnie Man Day, and that will be taking place over in Washington Park on the south side. You know, there's going to be, you know, a, a walk, you know, a march, and a remembrance of Ronnie Man. So it's important, and I've already put that information up, but I probably buried it in information, so I'll repost it with all the information that you need. And you can just look it up, you know, hashtag Ronnie Man. You can find a lot of information out there about him and his mom, Dorothy, wonderful woman, and I've had the pleasure and the privilege of getting to know her. And, you know, she's out here. She's doing work. That woman is serious. So, you know, and that family is, you know, being targeted. Last week they shot their dog. And so, you know, the police shot, you know, their dog. And so, you know, just, you know, keep them uplifted, keep them encouraged, offer them some support. You know, when I'm saying them, I'm talking about everyone and anyone that you know that has been impacted or affected by violence in any measure. 
And so, you know, you hear us talking about state-sanctioned violence and, you know, the policing of black and brown bodies. And when we say that, it's more than just someone being shot by a police officer. You know, that it has a lot to do with the fines and the fees that are, you know, doubled and tripled and piled on top of each other. You know, if you get a ticket for jaywalking, let's say it's $10. You don't pay it within 30 days, it doubles to $20. And then they add more fees. And then the next thing you know, you got a warrant out for you, so now you got to pay for, you know, the administrative fees for them to issue the warrant. And then you have to pay for the magistrate or deputy sheriff that's coming to find you and all of that. And next thing you know, a $10 ticket is now fifteen hundred dollars and you're in jail, which means you lose your job, which means your family suffers, you know, and so and there are many other examples, you know, another example, uh, people losing their homes because of taxes owed. You know, you, you could have underpaid your taxes, your you know, your home property taxes, underpaid it by five bucks. Didn't realize it went up five dollars, you just sent in the check you normally send. And someone purchases that particular debt, you know, and it it happens over a number of years. It just doesn't happen immediately. But they can purchase that debt, and then within a couple of years, it depends on where you live, but within a couple of years, if you have not repaid that person the debt that they paid on your property, they can evict you. And that happened to a lot of senior citizens and, and and disabled people across this country during the mortgage bust, and it's still happening today, and it was happening before time. So, you know, that's another example of state-sanctioned violence. So, you know, when we say state-sanctioned violence, it's a number of things. So, you know, I just wanted to give you some context to so that you all would have a better understanding of, you know, some of the vocabulary that, you know, we put out there. And so, yeah, you know, it's a lot going on, but I'm going to get into this a little bit more, but let's let's pull the caller into the conversation for a minute. Hey, 504, may I ask who? Oh, Travis. Hey. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Calling from New Orleans, and, uh, of course, there's a lot of action going on down here, as you may be aware. Right. You know, yeah, I talked about, about that at the beginning of the show. Yeah, I want to share something with you. And, uh, I get a I get a newsletter from a, a white guy. He's like a cultural historian and a musician. And one of the things mm-hmm. in the newsletter, you know, he makes announcements about like different uh, world music events. But there's a statement he puts in because I don't know how to uh, copy this thing and send it to others. But he puts a statement that Gwendolyn Midlow Hall, now Gwendolyn Midlow Hall is about 87 years old. She's a historian. She's a white lady from New Orleans. She also has been an activist. She was friends with uh, Mabel Williams, Robert Williams' wife, the brother that wrote Negroes with Guns. And Mm -hmm. she's also friends with uh, Grace Lee Boggs, who was an activist out of Detroit. I want to read to you Gwendolyn Mitlow's Hall's statement about Black Lives Matter. Uh, Gwendolyn Mitlow Hall is her name, and she says, My thoughts about the Black Lives Matter movement 
from an old historian who specializes in looking behind appearances to find reality. She says, social systems project an image of strength, but they are really weak. They can't rule by force alone. They must maintain something we call legitimacy. The people must believe in them and accept them or they cannot rule. This is fundamental power relations which exist whether or not there is formal democracy. This great movement begun and led by the marvelous young people of our country can bring the entire racist exploitative system down. Black folks live yes. in strategic places throughout the country. We have already seen some of what can happen when large numbers of people demonstrate in the streets. It immediately throws the entire system into crisis. The ruler's dilemma is if they become more repressive, they will enrage their population and the unrest will spread. If they minimize repression, the unrest will spread anyway, maybe even faster. If the Black Lives Matter movement protects itself from, from provocations and splitting activities by police agents and thinks strategically it is unbeatable, it's time to think about what happens after that. And that was Gwendolyn Mitchell Hall's statement she sent out by email two days ago. Well, can you forward that to me? I, I, I'm going to forward you the whole newsletter, uh, and then you can yeah. see it in there. Now, now just give me your... Uh, let me do this right now and give me your email right now. Blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. Hold on. Blackfreethinkers. Wait, thinkers. With an S. With an S. Uh-huh. At gmail.com. At gmail.com. Dot com. I'm going to forward mm-hmm. it to you right now. Okay. Thank you and, very uh, kindly okay. because I'll get it and I'll I'll format it so then I can post it online so everybody can see it. Yeah. Can you can you like copy and paste it so Tag you can you. send that port that portion of it? Yeah. 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 I'll I want, yeah, send it back yeah. to me because I would like to. Yeah. Send it back to me that way because I would like to do that. And again, Gwendolyn Midlow Hall is a white uh, female historian from New Orleans who. Uh, has also been an activist. She's been uh, friends with Mabel Williams, the wife of the late Robert Williams, and Grace Lee Boggs, who was a Chinese American uh-huh. activist out of Detroit. And uh, and Grace Lee Boggs. Oh yeah, Grace Lee Boggs. For those of you who aren't familiar with her, she just passed away either this year or last. Year. I think it was this year, but she was good friends with Malcolm X. Um, she was part of the Black Panthers, if you will, and she supported us 100% of the way. And you know, just just to kind of broaden that conversation, there's a hashtag called Yellow Peril Black Power. And Asians have been, you know, supportive of us and what we're doing, and they're not falling for that model minority myth because they know it's a myth. But you have Latinos that are supporting us. As a matter of fact, um, John Legazimo, Legazimo, how do you pronounce his last name? Legazimo 
well, that comedian dude, the, the Latino comedian dude, he is telling, you know, Latin Americans and, and Hispanics and Latinos that they should support Black Lives Matter because, you know, what happens to us will eventually happen to them. And truth of the matter is is going to probably happen to them, you know, on a higher scale than what it is with us because a lot of people don't understand what the, the violence that we are seeing, you know, with the policing of black and brown bodies. You know, those numbers are double and triple in the Native American communities. It's just not being reported. So it's time right, right. for us to come together. And when I read some articles about some of these celebrities having these meetings in their homes, they had over 100 black celebrities getting together over at the games house and they were discussing black lives matter and trying to put together some solutions so they are coming out even more and and talking about you know again the systemic and institutionalized racism the policing of black brown and red bodies in this country and so it's time for us to come together because again you know i've talked about alton sterling talked about um um, Mr. Philando Castile in Minnesota, and it's a number of other places. But, you know, when I did a talk mm. this year, and, again, mm. I rarely do talks. It is not my dream to be a public speaker as far as um, the secular community is concerned. But, uh, you know, uh, with the talk that I gave in January, I talked, mm. you know, it was it was predominantly white people there. I think I had two black people, a couple of Latinos, and a couple of biracial people. And mm. I talked to them, and I was talking about how poor and working class white people are facing the same dilemma that we are mm-hmm. in black and brown bodies when it comes to police shooting and killing them. And it happened again, you know, over the weekend. It was a young man by the name of Andrew Henson. And go out there and look the hashtag up. And what, what gets me is you'll have all these white people talking about, well, all lives matter. And when I was giving my talk, you know, I kind of mocked and ridiculed that a little bit. But I also, you know, cautioned them. I said, look, when these, you know, white people, these young white people are killed by the police, why is it that it's more black people showing up to protest for that white life than white people? Mm-hmm. And I told them, I'm like, you all need to get out here. You need to be out here not only marching with us for black and brown bodies, but you need to be marching for the white lives that are lost, you know, as well. And so I said that to say this, you know, because when, when young white people are killed by the police, one of the first things we hear from the All Lives Matter crowd is, well, where is Black Lives Matter now? Where are they? We've always been there. And what they did with Andrew Henson, but I mean, I just, I have to make this point. They are out there, they're getting the protests ready, they're talking about it, and Andrew Henson isn't the first person that they've organized for. And so I just want to make sure that they know, you know, we need you all out there marching for these young white kids, too. And it was five Latinos killed this week by police action, and I'm going to say their names. Anthony Nunez, Pedro Villanueva, Melissa Ventura, Vincent Ramos, and Raul Saavedra. So it's, it's important, you guys. Pay attention. Go ahead, Travis. I want to Sorry say about this. that. I want to say this, and I, I want to say this. I'm going to listen by my computer. Um, uh, uh, two more things about Gwendolyn Midlow Hall. Uh, she is the author mm-hmm. of a book called Africans in Colonial Louisiana. 
she mm-hmm. authored a book called African Ethnicities in the Americas, and she was married to Harry Haywood slash Haywood Hall, who was an African-American communist. He was like 20 years older than her. So uh, she was uh, married to him. And uh, so, I, I, so I hope you got that email. And I also want to recommend the book, White Trash, the 400-year untold history yes. of class in America. Yes, yes. I said a couple of weeks, about three, four weeks ago, I mentioned that book. You know, White Trash is another one called White Rage, and there's a number of books that kind of explain what's happening. I got, I got, that too. I got both of those in my, on my yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, it's important, you know, and I know some people, when I talk about the names of these books, they're like, that is so, you know, negative and talk. No, there's information in there that's important for you all to know about. And, you know, again, as James Baldwin says, white people are caught up in a history that they don't know or understand. And it's not just white people. It's us, too. It's all of us. And that is the reason why I continue to do this show. Trust me, there are other things I can be doing. My favorite pastime hobby is called sleeping. And so, you know, so, Yeah. um, Yeah. yeah, yeah, you guys, you know, this is important. And this, you know, and this is just the beginning of my plantation politics series, because next I'm week we're going to talk about all right. I'm listening by computer because mm-hmm. I'm cooking, but I'll continue to enjoy the show. All right, baby. I'm going to put you on mute, okay? Okay. All right. So, okay. so just press your number. You know press one when you're going to come back. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, that's why, you know, next week we're going to do the All Lives Matter, and I'm just going to break it down. I'm going to break it down as to what I hear, you know, and what all lives matter should be, you know. And so, you know, we'll we'll get to that. We have another caller, and let me go ahead and get to this call before we get into, you know, the meat of this topic. 813, may I ask who's calling? Yeah, this is Paul. I'm calling from uh, Florida. Okay, Paul, how are you? Doing all right. Um, so, I—it's uh, funny because I was—I was listening to one of the uh, radio stations in my local area today, um, called the Sunday Forum, and um, they were talking about pretty much the same thing. You know, shooting pretty you know, hot political topic right now. Um, one thing I just wanted to sort of mention that I mentioned to them this morning um, is that you know we—I I think we focus too much on the social aspects of a lot of what's going on and. Not necessarily, uh, well, as Dr. Claude Anderson would say, we, we, we're focusing on the symptoms and not really the root cause or what we're going to need to do to fix the issue. One of the root causes of the issue of why we're targeted, you know, more amongst anybody, everybody else is because of our economic and therefore social standing. Because, you know, in a capitalist society, your economic position uh, uh, dictates where you're going to sit socially. That's why immigrants from other countries that come here who literally come from living in dirt and, you know, the most meager conditions when they come here and they create an economic foundation for themselves, they're not treated the way we are. As a matter of fact, they move into the uh, African-American communities and they become, you know, the, 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 the one-eyed person in the land of the blind type of situation because in a community where there are no black businesses and no black infrastructure, they move in there as an Indian or a Chinese person or, you know, whatever, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. now... They're, they're owners of businesses. They 
have control and therefore they have political control because they have economic control. And I think that's sort of where the, uh, the main focus of the issue should lie is in economic empowerment and running our communities. I, I mean, I can tell you from my personal experience, when I walk out my front door, because I, I, I live in a lower income area, not necessarily because I don't make any money, it's just because, you know, I bought a house down here and I have another house out of the country. I'm, I'm not a U.S. citizen. And just even in the community that I live in, the meat markets are not black-owned. None of the convenience stores. The only thing is, well, instead of me naming what isn't black-owned, let me just tell you the only thing that is, the barbershop. That's the only thing that's black-owned. So when the police come in this community and they concentrate their efforts in the community, they're always going to find more crime amongst lower-income people because people are poor, they don't have anything to do, they don't have any jobs, they're not coming home to anything they own. They rent houses versus owning it. You know, it's going to be turmoil. Everybody's going to be living on top of each other. They're going to destroy each other because they have no political base or an economic base to support that political base. Everybody's just going to eat them. You know, like everybody walks in, yeah, they treat them like food. I mean, I don't even shop in this area because the the the, uh, the the Middle Eastern people around here, they treat the black people like garbage, man. You walk in the convenience stores and they talk to you like trash. You know what I'm saying? They don't treat you well, but they'll take your money. And they don't even live around here, you know, and... Really what I said to say is, is that we need to put a serious focus on economically empowering our community as a whole. And another thing we need to do is we need to start deluding ourselves into thinking that we have an intact community. Right now there is none, okay? Uh, a community isn't just where you live and sleep. You know, like Dr. Claude Anderson said, that's a neighborhood. That's not a community. Community is where you have three essential things. You can feed yourself. You have the ability to provide energy for your people, and you have the ability to take care of your health care. So that means you have to have some sort of, you know, uh, a medical center owned and operated by you. You have to have some sort of food distribution network or even just a convenience store owned and operated by you. And you also have to have, you know, I mean, I know it's unrealistic, but some sort of way of providing energy, whether that's a power station or some sort of, you know, uh, a place where people can go to congregate and get what they need to some degree. And there's no place that I've seen, you know, I've, I'm ex-military and I've been around a lot, that has a concentration of those things in one place. You don't have that, then All nobody's right. going to respect you. You know, I mean. Well, okay, and and I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you know quite a bit of what you're saying there. You know, because poor people, you know, do not have people out there advocating for them, and you know, in in many of our communities, as you've noted, you know, a number of the businesses that are there are not owned by us. But one thing that I I feel that we need to take into consideration, and what you're saying is correct, you know, it is important that we build an economic power base, that we support one another, and and I'm with that, trust me. But, yeah, no, you're right. Poverty equals crime. However, you know, because I, I had to have this talk with, you know, an African you know, I was catching an Uber, and so the driver was an African woman who has only been in the United States for a couple of years. And, you know, she was blaming the victims, right? And, you know, I cautioned her on that. And so as we were driving along, I'm like, well, how many McDonald's have you seen? None. How many Taco Bells have you seen? None. How many Burger Kings have you seen? One. And I said, and jobs that are available for who? You know, and, and what I try to explain to people is, you know, they they you know, the real issues are not necessarily being confronted. You know, we need to talk about the lack of 
economic opportunities, the lack of educational opportunities, you know, the lack of many things that can tackle, you know, the issues that we have in these communities. And as I stated on the last show that I did, you know, it, it would be more economically viable for them to level the playing field for us to have parity. However, it is in their best interest not to allow that, but it's going to cost more money, which doesn't make any sense to me. But, again, there are people who profit from these communities, you know, not having an economic base, not having a political base, not having any advocates out here, you know, fighting for them. And that is something that I definitely, you know, say that we need to build. You know, we need to build political action committees. We need to, you know, find us some lobbyists, train some of these young people up, you know, to, you know, be able to take on being some type of politician. You know, one thing I will say about the Bernie Sanders movement as it continues on is that there are more people, I think it was about 7,000 people who, you know, were part of Bernie's movement, they are now seeking political office. And so, you know, there are some positive things that came out of the Feel the Burn movement. There are more people trying to become more engaged in the political process and to get a better understanding because what I want to say to people is, you know, yeah, when we go into some of these communities, you know, especially when they're, you know, low-income, you know, communities, you know, you see the problem. You see what's happening. And people want to talk about I'm going to put you on mute, dear. And um, oh, sure, just ahead. raise your hand when you want. Okay. And um, basically, you know, you, you walk into these communities and you see the poverty and you see a number of social ills that we talk about and discuss. However, my question goes back to what were the choices some of these people had? that ended up in a specific position, you know, because, you know, again, sometimes people have choices. Most of the time they do not. And what I loved about what um, Travis, you know, said is that basically, you know, with Grace Lee Boggs and, you know, the statement, you know, the way that, What's happening now with the protests and the people are getting out and and standing up for themselves and standing in solidarity with one another, Um, you know, these are wonderful things, but this will work if we have a system that is from the bottom up meaning that the citizens, you know, residents, you know, whether it's a local community or, you know, within the United States, but when it's, you know, when it's governed from the bottom up, you know, that that tends to create more opportunities. But as we know, capitalism is king in this country, and it will continue to be ruled by the top 2%, as long as they continue to buy the presidency and own the you know the Congress and own your local politicians and, and and part of that is we need to educate ourselves more on the local issues because those are the ones that impact us directly, and so it's important that we understand that, but no, we do need people advocating for us. And when I say people, I'm talking about you and you and you and you. You can do it. 
see, we're the change. You know, and I used to say this all the time when I first started the show. You know, we are the change that we've been looking for. We got it. And, you know, and basically we can take control. That is being shown, you know. And so, again, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the plantation politics and, you know, try to give you all a definition. So I was looking around for, you know, definition, and I found this on the Uppity Negro Network site, right, because it's like I want to kind of give you all context, a visual somewhat, if you will. So I'm just going to read this from their page. And it says, well, it seems to me that there is a parallel that is emerging called plantation politics. The politics of the slaves in the field were often different from the politics of the slave who got to sleep in a big house. And he said, I mean, the White House. You see the, you see the slaves on larger plantations who worked in the field would often direct their angst toward the big house where their master lived. So it posed the dichotomy of loyalty when the master would artfully pick a slave to work in a big house. This slave who was once from the field was now working in the place where their anger had once been directed, and the ultimate question is where do their loyalties lie? It's not a hard stretch of the imagination to believe what a quandary the slaves in the house were facing. Realize now that oftentimes they received better food and a better place to sleep, even better clothing. They were no longer toiling in the hot sun doing backbreaking work during the summer months, and they were protected from the elements during the winter months. The house Negro had to deal with where their loyalties lie. But the field Negroes, oh, the field Negroes, they knew where their loyalties lay. They were beholden to God and to themselves and each other. They knew where to direct their anger. It was usually at the white man who would stand on the veranda and look out over the plantation, over the legalized and systemized economy that kept them in bondage. Whether or not their master was a fair one and fair by what standards or not, the master was still overseeing and actively participating in what was keeping them in bondage. So, again, that was just, you know, a little bit about plantation politics. And, you know, another example was a keynote address given by Barbara Jordan, and, you know, this was in 1976 at the Democratic Convention. And it's so interesting because this ties directly into, you know, what I just finished saying. But basically, um, Barbara Jordan, she made an appeal for a sense of national community that would derive its authority from citizens. She warned against what she called the great danger America faces, that we cease to be one nation and, and instead become a collection of interest groups. And that is a lot of what we are dealing with now. So, you know, again, I just want you guys to kind of take a look, pay attention, and see what's happening out here. But, um, yeah, it's a lot to unpack. You know, we're getting all of these sweet nothing promises. Nothing has come about. And I'll just go on ahead and say it, you know, that little town hall that President Obama had, uh, no. They said a whole bunch of nothing. And the way that Erica Garner was treated, you know, that was horrible. Because basically what they did is they used her 
as a prop, as well as other people who have been affected by violence and, you know, within any realm. And they were using them as props. And the questions were, um, <laughs> the questions were, you know, watered down, if you will, and that was done purposefully so that President Obama would not be put in a position whereas to anger, you know, these white nationalists any more than they are already angered. And so basically, you know, you know, they're trying to keep the peace. But trust me when I say that, you know, they are nervous. The powers that be are very, very nervous because the working class and poor whites aren't listening to their elitist leaders, and neither are communities of color. You know, which brings me to talk about, you know, I did a show a few weeks ago and I was talking about John Lewis, and I'm pretty sure some of you all saw I was very uncomfortable, you know, during that show, you know, talking about that man, you know, civil rights icon, and, you know, subsequent to that show, he made a comment about how, you know, he was beaten, beaten, you know, bloody, and then he turned around and told the police officer, thank you for your service. Well, I don't know about you, but no, that's not how that works. So you have people like him out here making comments like that. You have Andrew Young, who was also, you know, with King back in the day with all the marches, and he basically called the protesters unlovable brats. And so these are supposedly elders from the civil rights movement I hear, you know, basically bashing and, and you know, the, these young people who are putting their lives on the line. And so I'm trying to figure out where the disconnect is. And I already know what the disconnect is. It's called money. It's called power. It's called prestige. It's called celebrity. It's called all of those things. And it's wrapped up in one big-ass ball of bullshit. You know, and so, you know, this is why we're telling you to pay attention. You know, and it just wasn't Andrew Young and John Lewis. It's a number of them. You know, Sheriff Clark from Milwaukee, the one who basically, you know, is accusing um, <laughs> the black misleadership, accusing them of playing plantation politics. Yeah, that's interesting, right? And um, he's going to be speaking at the RNC, so I just can't wait because, you know, live tweeting, I am going to have a blast, you know, and I'm eating all ethnically the whole time. So it's, 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 it's <laughs> and I'm talking about stereotypes. So, yeah, don't be sending me notes. Yeah, I'm being facetious. I'm having fun here, right? But I will have some fried chicken Tuesday. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, pay attention, you guys. Pay attention. And so, you know, because I didn't do a show last week, you know, you're going to hear me doubling back, so just bear with me. And like I said, this is going to turn into a three-hour show. So once we get down to the wire during the second hour, I'll let you know. But the call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310 982 
888-646-4273. You can call in and don't press any buttons. If you don't want to talk, if you want to speak to me, press 1. And I will only pick up the phone if you press 1. So you can listen in, you know, to the third hour possibly. So, yeah, so, yeah, going back to, you know, what happened in Dallas, because I haven't had a chance to express, you know, what I felt in that regard with you all. I haven't had the opportunity to share that. So, you know, I'm going to do that now. But one thing I will say is, again, we must take the narrative back. And we also need to understand and know when they're out there basically with the smoke and mirrors. Because what's so interesting is, you know, we've had well over 200, 250 people of color killed in the United States just in 2016 alone. And then you have five officers, you know, that were killed, and now we're in a state of emergency. Someone put that tweet out. I'm looking for my notes here. So, yeah, that was H. Sammy Aline. And he said, oh, he said, U.S. police have murdered over 560 people this year. Oh, wow, I was undercounting big time. My apologies there. And he said five officers are killed, and now we are in a state of emergency. And his question was, what were we in before Dallas? That's a legitimate question. That's a really legitimate question. So it's a state of emergency, you know, when white lives or pseudo-white lives are on the line. Interesting, right? And the so-called, you know, sniper, the Michael Johnson, you know, initially, and I need for you guys to pay attention to the language coming out of these people, because initially when they found out who the the sniper was, Micah X. Johnson, they initially they were saying that he was mad with Black Lives Matter. That was one of the first things that I heard, that he was mad with Black Lives Matter, that he was upset about Black Lives Matter, you know, a number of different ways that they, you know, you know, framed that. But then later on, the language changed. And then it turned into he was upset for Black Lives Matter. And so these are the things that you all need to listen for and you need to pay attention to. They're building a story. They're building, you know, um, you know a narrative. And so you need to to think about this and note those differences. And so, you know, going on, you know, about Michael Johnson, um, he was not part of any, you know, the black um, organizations that are out here. You know, he was not with, you know, any of these particular groups. And, you know, I know at one point someone was pointing to another group. I'm not going to mention them because I don't, under, I don't know all the details behind that. But, you know, they're changing the language. And what's interesting is they claim that the talks broke down with Micah Johnson here, and they sent in a robot with the bomb that killed him. 
So one of the first questions I have for you guys are, how is it that ah, the so-called lone gunman, even though they had a few other people in custody, and that story conveniently went away, but the lone gunman in this, they killed him. Sent the robot in, blew him the kibbles and bits, right? Yet, they took the young white man, the you know, the domestic terrorist assassin, who killed all those people in the black church. Not only was he taken alive, he was taken to Burger King, and he sure as hell had it his way. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't understand why Micah had to be killed. And it makes me question, did they, did they not want him? I mean, it's just the whole situation surrounding that is very sketchy to me. You know, why did he have to die? You take everybody else, you know, well, you know, for the most part, into custody, but he had to die by bomb robot. And that's another thing that you all should take note of. They're sending these robots in, you know, with cameras and microphones and bombs and all of these things. Don't you all think that it's only for, you know, snipers or people like that? You know, those of you that are out here in the streets, again, be vigilant understand what's happening. Be your own security because you're going to have to look around and you got a lot of people out here, you know, that have their concealed carry license. And what's so interesting about that, you know, I'm going to dip and come back to the subject, is, you know, in Chicago there have been some lawsuits because um, quite a few black people have been denied their concealed carry weapon license here in Illinois. So there are lawsuits going on about that. But, you know, I was talking with, you know, a good friend of mine, and, you know, I want to get my concealed carry weapon license, right? And I was talking to him about it, and I said, well, you know, as far as going in and, you know, um, fulfilling the requirements, that's not a problem. And I said, but what is scaring me, and this is just me, and I don't scare easily, but are we safe at the damn range? Because you have to qualify. So, you know, you have to go to the range, put in a certain number of hours of training and, you know, all of that fun stuff there. And then once you complete that, you can, you know, file your application for a concealed carry weapon license. But, hell, they're having so many, quote, accidents, end quote, at the range that, you know, a few of us are halfway scared to go because it's like, you know, is someone going to have an accident and shoot us? And so that kind of puts us in another (laughs) dilemma there because, you know, the way that things are happening, the way that these people are losing their minds and the fear and they're, you know, very fidgety you know, what's happening now, you know, this is scary for a number of different reasons. But when I saw what they had been talking about, you know, as far as Micah is concerned, you know, the the picture they had painted of him. And, you know, he had his African garb on and all of that. 
And a friend of mine, you know, and yes, I consider him a friend of mine now, you know, he, you know, he called me out on something because, you know, I was talking about, um, you know, we were putting together some information and we were talking about, you know, information that could possibly clash or conflict. And so I brought up some words that usually triggers people that some of us call hoteppers. And so, you know, he schooled me on it, and you know what? Hey, I'm going to stop calling them hoteppers, you know, because hoteps mean peace. And, you know, I had a couple of friends that schooled me on it, but it's like, okay. So, you know, I'm not going to call them hoteppers anymore. But um, some of the more radical you know, black nationalists, um, when they come to mind, you know, especially with some of them that are out there now, you know, making noise. And I'll name one in particular, the new Black Panther Party, you know, the new ones, not the ones from back in the days. These are some new people. And they're out in Cleveland now, you know, protesting. They have their permits. And, you know, and some of the things that they are saying, definitely inflammatory. And so not quite sure what's going on over there, but I want you guys to pay attention, especially those of you that are going to go to Cleveland and whatever it is you're going to do up there, you know, protest, what have you. But, again, you know, be vigilant because they're sending robots in with, you know, bombs and all of that you know, look, you can easily be targeted. So, again, just pay attention. And um, and then also, this is nothing new. You know, what happened with Michael Johnson, you know, this has happened a number of times throughout history. You know, don't forget about H. Rap Brown. Remember, he unloaded a whole clip on a sheriff's deputy, you know, and he was convicted in 2002 of murder. You know, and let's not forget Christopher Dorner. And like I said before on my show, I believe every word that guy said, every word. And so, you know, and then don't forget about the Black Panthers, from the ones from back in the day. You know, they had gunfights, you know, with the police. And so this is not necessarily anything new. But, again, it's predicated on you guys going out there and doing some research and doing some research because research and reading and sharing, because there has always been, you know, racial animus between communities of color and the police. As a matter of fact, it's because of this particular animus that has really been, you know, the, the catalyst to you know, these movements that we've had over the years. You know, they were started because of mistreatment by the police. And another thing that I want you all to understand, there's a lot of misinformation that's being put out there as well. You know, disinformation, misinformation is out there. And what they're doing is they're trying to stoke people's fears. And I need for you guys to understand, be able to read between the lines. Look, it's a lot of propaganda in the news, which is why we encourage you guys to read, you know, newspapers, periodicals, what have you, from other countries. You know, and I still haven't even talked about what happened in Nice, 
or what happened in um, Turkey over the weekend. You know, it's a lot, but, you know, I'm not going to talk about that right now because that is not, you know, part of what I wanted to get to today. But I definitely want to send my condolences for, you know, those that have been affected by what has happened in Nice as well as Turkey. So, yeah, you know, this weekend in Cleveland promises to be interesting, if you will. So, you know, keep an eye on that. You know, I'm going to be taking notes. And, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I can't wait to see Sheriff Clark's talk. That's going to be interesting. So, you know, again, like I said, we need to take the narrative back. But pay attention to the language. You know, especially when they were talking about Micah and the Black Lives Matter, he was not part of that. But one thing that I do want to say to these, you know, um, groups of color that are out here organizing in the communities, you know, grassroots movements, do not fall for the trap. And what I mean by that is whenever a white person does anything, they're judged as being an individual. You understand? And let's say a Muslim, you know, does something like, you know, what happened over in Nice, Mohammed Bahalel, and, you know, they want the entire Muslim community to come out and condemn that one guy. White people don't do that. When something, when a black person does that, the whole black community is, you know, they, they look upon us to come out and condemn that person, you know, and, 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 you know, basically ostracize that person, push them away and apologize for them and quickly announce on air that we forgive, you know, someone, you know, a white person if they come and harm us. So not only do we have to condemn, you know, the black person that may have done whatever, but when a white person has done anything to us, we have to collectively say that we forgive them. This is fear, people, and we don't owe them that. It's time to stop centering white folks and what in, in, in our decisions. And for you groups out there that are out there that, you know, that, you know, the, that the mainstream America, the white folks, were demanding that, you know, Black Lives Matter and these other organizations demanded that they say something about Micah X. Johnson. Let me tell y'all something. You don't owe them an explanation. You don't owe them an apology. You don't owe them shit. Micah, Micah you know, he did that on his own behalf. And we're going to have to stop doing that, and you're going to have to stop allowing them to force you into a corner and force your hand and force, you know, a position. You understand? And, you know, and and the whole thing is, you know, you got people out here, you know, there are some people that say when we have groups of our own that has blacks or Latino or Asian in it, or we have our own businesses, they want to say that that is racist. No, it is not racist. You know, and, and again, this is an effort for them to basically project, you know, project that anger onto us. 
And, you know, guys, it's time to stop. It's time to stop. You know, uh, the majority of the white people out here, they know damn well what's happening, and they know damn well how they benefit from all of this. So, you know, don't allow them to continue to run you in circles, you know, and also, you know, let them do their own work. Let them do their own work. They will continue asking you question after question, not because they they want answers, but because they can. And you know, it's 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 just it's ridiculous. You know, we are not out here to educate white folks. We're here to educate each other and to in, encourage one another. And yes, we do have white allies, and they're there. And there's a lot of things that, you know, that our allies can do. And I'm going to get more into the meat of that next week on the All Lives Matter show, you know. And, you know, our energy needs to be focused on us and what we're trying to do, period, and where we're trying to go, all of that. You know, you know, you take your agency back. It's not our jobs to teach these folks and to do all of this stuff for them. Stop it. Stop doing free work for people, especially for a lot of these white people. You know, we got to stop catering to their feelings. What is happening in our communities is way more important than some white tears. I'm sorry. It just is. So do not feel, you know, responsible when someone that is of color does whatever. No, don't do that anymore. It's time to stop that. Trust me, white folks don't do that. You know, when when someone white does something, the whole white community are not sitting back like, oh, Lord. You know, what I found funny is I thought about the episode of Blackish when they were watching the news and they found out the person that committed that crime was a white person, and then they were cheering. <laughs> oh, and that is so true. It happens because, I mean, sometimes I, I'll tell you, sometimes I'll be watching the news, and I'm like, please don't be black. Please don't. <laughs> and I know I'm not the only one who does that because I've talked to a number of people, and, you know, we, we talk about it and we laugh. But, you know, it's a very, very real thing. I remember when O.J. was acquitted, right? And, uh, you know, it was on a Tuesday because I was at the hair salon. And so all the women in the hair salon, black women, they're all like, yeah. And I had to go back to work once I was done getting my hair done. And I went back, and I worked with an all-white staff. And needless to say, they were not very happy that day. And, so, you know, and um, you know, it's a trip. It is a trip in how we respond, you know, in a number of the situations. But we need to start stressing the point that we are individuals and we need to be allowed to be individuals. And when I say that, I'm not talking about white people allowing us to do anything. I'm talking about you allow yourself to be an individual. You allow yourself to be unique. You know, we we got to get to that point. That is what we need to do to move forward. 
you know, and so it's just, it's important. It's a lot of stuff that has been on my mind, you know, and we've been, I saw someone say this the other day, and I was like, hot damn, that's a hot point, and it's true. We've been trained to negotiate with terrorists. You know, you'll hear all these other people saying we don't negotiate with terrorists and they want what they want, what they want, and they're not going to budge, they're not going to negotiate, they're not going to compromise. But we're always expected to negotiate, to compromise, you know, to take the high road, to be the bigger person. That bullshit. All of that. And looking at, you know, a lot of what has been going on, it's been a lot of, you know, respectability politics. You know, that that town hall with Barack Obama was nothing but a big old respectability politics forum. And I know people like Erica Garner and others, that was not their intention, but they were lied to. They were promised that they would be able to ask questions, and that didn't happen. And so I understand her pain. I understand her anger, you know. But, um, you know, there were a number of things that I definitely wanted to get to. And one of the main things, you know, I definitely need to bring this up, but a transgendered person is being killed every 29 hours. Do you understand Every 29 hours, a transgendered person is being murdered. Guys, this is serious. And black trans lives matter, period. And, you know, there were, you know, a number of deaths, you know, that have taken place since the beginning of the year. And when people posted, it just kind of... You know, kind of it chips away. I posted an article by Very Smart Brothers, and they were talking about how seeing all of this violence and all of these killings and everything that we're dealing with, and especially black women, is chipping away at our humanity. And I think it's slowly killing us. And that's unfortunate. That really is unfortunate. But, yeah, you know, but not only are these trans people, in particular trans women, being killed by individuals for whatever reason, there is really no valid reason to kill another person. You know, they're murdered even more when the, when the media misgenders them. When you have people in these communities, you know, bashing and, again, victim blaming. No, it's not okay. It's not okay because it's like, you know, they were already murdered by, you know, some some jackass. And then you continue murdering them in the media? When you misgender them, that is violence. Do you understand? And one of the best examples that I saw personally was last year at the Black Lives Matter conference. And I was sitting in an auditorium. They were out there doing something. But, you know, I don't do the sun like that. And like I said, I have lupus and all that. The sun drains me. 
as well as, you know, some physical problems that come from that. So they were outside, so I stayed in the auditorium where it was cool, plugged my phone up, sitting there playing on the phone, and so an older black woman walked in, and she was real talkative. And, you know, we were talking for a while, and somebody else came in, and she started talking to them. And, you know, trans woman was there, and, you know, she was helping the older woman, and the older woman referred to her by the wrong gender. And the trans woman of color was very compassionate, very kind, and and explained. And the older black woman acknowledged that, apologized, and, and, and identified her by the correct gender. And the older black woman, she didn't miss a beat. And so, you know, I just, I'm not understanding. I'm not understanding, you know, as far as like, you know, this is not being reported in the news the way it should be. This is not being campaigned against like it should be. You know, trans women are women, period. And I don't even like to refer them as trans women. They're just women. But in in, in this particular context, you know, I, I want people to understand what I'm talking about. You know, I have a friend that's a trans man. And there was an incident. And, um, you know, he walked away from it alive, but a little scarred emotionally. This is a conversation that needs to be had. Trans lives matter too. Yes. And so, again, you know, we're coming to a better understanding. You know, it's more information that we're getting access to. And, again, these people do not owe you or anyone else any explanation as to, you know, to their, to how they identify. They don't owe you an explanation. Stop being nosy. Get on the Internet. If you want to know something, look it up on the Internet, you know, and it's just, it's unreal. It's unreal. And when I see people posting, you know, these stories, and especially trans women and, you know, being killed, but, I mean, we need to also talk about the discrimination against trans people, whether, you know, they're going out for a job, walking down the street, you know, and even within the LGBT community. There is transphobia even within the LGBTQ community. That needs to be addressed as well. And so, again, you know, you have these people out here, you know, telling us it's going to get better, they're going to help us, and, you know, they're always telling women of color, in particular, wait, your time is coming. And we fell for it a number of times, but we're not falling for it now. And so you have a lot of angry men walking around, not only men of color, but especially angry white men walking around and, um, you know, with misplaced anger, misguided anger, you know. And so if you want to go out and take a look, you can go and see, you know, what's been happening in the trans community, but Daniqua Dots was a trans woman of color. She was black, 
and she died on July 14th. She was shot in the neck, you know, on July the 4th. You know, Goddess Diamond, a 20-year-old black trans woman, you know, was found in a burned car in New Orleans, June 5th. But apparently she had blunt force trauma before the car was burned. You know, there's a number of stories like that. And so, you know, it's important. Go back. You know, these people need some love, too. And there's a lot of shit they got to deal with, not only with mainstream America, but even within the LGBTQ community. And it's not right. It's not fair. And so, you know, there are a number of things that are happening. It was an article. Someone posted it today. And I'm going to post it later, but I'm going to tell you the name of the article and the writer, the author. The name of the article is Why We Should Teach About the FBI's War on the Civil Rights Movement. Again, Why We Should Teach About the FBI's War on the Civil Rights Movement. And it was written by Ursula Wolf Roca. Again, Ursula Wolf Roca. W-O-L-F-E dash R-O-C-C-A. And, you know, it talks about COINTELPRO. And for those of you that have not heard or are not familiar, but the Department of Homeland Security most recently authorized the FBI to do more investigation into these activists and the protesters and, you know, the organizers that are out here. So I'm letting you guys know the FBI has been unleashed, you know, and many of us are on lists, a number of other lists. I can only imagine how many damn lists I'm on. But I'm talking to all activists across the board. Even if you're not out here, you know, um, protesting for you know, Black Lives Matter or anything, even with some of you all that are out here protesting for the LGBTQ community, the feminist movement, you know, the secular movement, look, they they look at us as subversive, okay? So let's get the, you know, the language right, subversive, and in some cases, degenerate. And so anything that is not status quo is being examined. And it's important that you understand what's happening. And so I want to tell you guys, you need to be careful. You need to pay attention. There's a lot of shit happening. And most often it's illegal, some of the shit that's being done. So, you know... Um, yeah, you know, be careful out there. Because when I was watching the news earlier and I I saw what was unfolding in Baton Rouge, and, you know, all I could say was, oh, shit. And, again, here we go with the text messages, and I'm like, y'all, pay attention. You know, look at what's happening because it's serious out here. And so with this particular article, it talks about how students are taught really very little about the black power movement, only a little bit about the civil rights movement, but they aren't 
taught about, you know, COINTELPRO and other authority um, figures or organizations that, you know, have worked to basically undermine and destroy, you know, any type of movement that was out there for any type of social change. You know, the word social justice is usually a trigger word and that gets you put on list, but, you know, they're not taught about these things, about, you know, the FBI. And I'm not sure if you all are aware, so I guess, you know, we'll do uh, a little history here as a part in here that I wanted to talk about. And what happened was there were some people that broke into, I believe it was FBI office in Media Philadelphia. I'm looking for it here. And what they did is they stole every piece of paperwork that they could find. And they released all of the information, and it revealed what was happening with FBI. It revealed um, COINTELPRO how they were targeting activists and and how they were basically going within these communities, within these movements, and undermining everything that people were doing in an effort to turn these people against each other. And so, you know, basically I'm going to read a quote here from Keith Forsyth, and he did um, an interview on Democracy Now!, and he was saying, I, I was spending as much time as I could with organizing against the war, but I had become very frustrated with legal protests. The war was escalating and not de-escalating. And I think what really pushed me over the edge was shortly after the invasion of Cambodia, there were four students killed at eight and two more killed at Jackson State, and that really pushed me over the edge that it was time to do more than just protest. And so he was one of the ones that broke in to that office and stole the document, and they delivered those documents to the press. And that is when people found out about COINTELPRO and how they were used to disrupt and destroy, you know, a number of different protest groups out there. And that's still happening to this day. And so, again, man, this is, you know, the not-so-distant past. Hey, guys, go back, look, discuss. It's definitely needed, you know, and you've seen articles out there talking about how different justice departments in different states have been using the hashtags to basically, you know, surveil people. And you know what happens. So, again, I'm like, you know, there's just so much happening, you know, and, and my question is always why. You know, I'm a why person, which drives some of my friends nuts. And they're like, we had this conversation 20 times. All right, this is 21. Why? It's just, you know, so, I mean, go out there and, you know, do some research on counterintelligence, COINTELPRO, you know, about grassroots community movements that have been squashed by the government. You need to find out why, you know, who was doing it, who benefited from it. And, you know, 
it's, it's, it's a lot happening. And um, it's heartbreaking. You know, because a lot of us, you know, we were promised a lot of things. And I talked about some of the white people who were rallying for Donald Trump and the media would stop them and have conversations with them and ask them, you know, why are you here at the Trump rally? And, again, with many of them, their answers were visceral, more than abstract, and they would say that they were lied to. And that's true. You know, and I felt the same way, you know, especially in 2007, 2008, when the carpet was pulled from under a lot of us. And it's like, all right, wait a minute. I went to school. I didn't have children I couldn't afford. I built a career. I've done everything according to the book. But yet I felt like I was Charlie Brown going to kick the ball and ended up flat on my ass. And that happens. You know, and, you know, I heard some of the same stories from some of those white people. And, um, you know, we've been lied to, you know, and they continue to lie to us. And they really have no reason to stop. Why? Because we've been trained to believe them. We've been trained to go along and get along. And when I say we, I'm talking about Americans in general. Americans in general are very gullible. And I hate to say that, but it's true. And, you know, with the anti-intellectualism that, you know, we see in this country and the dumbing down of people in this country, you know, they know they can say these things and get away with it. Because for the most part, most people, they just want some type of comfort. And that is where the sweet nothings come in. They will promise you the world if it will shut you up and sit you down. And it happens more often than you realize. And this is why, again, you know, it's important for you guys to go and to understand it. You know, one of the arguments that I get from some of these All Lives Matter people is when they say that there were more white men killed by police than, you know, more white people killed by police than black people. That's true. However, when you go and you do the statistics on that, percentage-wise, the number of black people being killed by police is outrageous. You know, just going by pure statistics. And so, you know, when someone brings you that argument, you got to break it down. Because black people are only 12 to 13% of the population in the United States. And so you have to crunch those numbers. And another interesting fact is more police officers are killed by white people than black people. And so this is, you know, these are things that I tell you all to look up, especially when they start coming at you with that black-on-black crime trope. There is no such thing as black-on-black crime. And what's so interesting is it has now gotten to the point that the white people don't have to say anything. Black people have picked up those particular talking points. And this is why us, those of us that are out here, we have to take the narrative back. You know, that's what I say on the show. That's what I feel like I'm doing on the show. 
you know, taking back the narrative, putting shit in its proper context, all of that is important. But, you know, that black-on-black crime myth falls into the myth of black criminality. And so there are a number of books that you all should go out and that I've talked about on numerous occasions on this show. One particular book that I definitely want you guys, even if you can't read it, go and get it on Google Books where you can read some chapters and read some pages, but The Protest Psychosis, because it gives you a breakdown as to what was happening in the 50s and the 60s during the Black Power Civil Rights Movement. And even what's happening now, you have people being planted in these different groups just to create havoc, you know. And I know some people are out there like, well, Kim, you're from Chicago. You know, all of that, quote, unquote, black-on-black crime, you know, crime happening up there. And, again, there is no such thing as black-on-black crime. And that's one of the things that I have to say that I need for you all to pay attention to. And, you know, yeah, I'm talking about Black Lives Matter. And, again, with Black Lives Matter, it was never solely focused on black people being killed by the police. And they do have marches, and they do reach out to the families in communities that have been affected by senseless crime. So, you know, yeah, there are a lot of intra- and intercommunal issues that are being focused on. And the difference between intra and inter, intra means internally, and inter means across, you know, a couple of different groups, you know, two or three different cultures or what have you or communities. And so, you know, again, you know, we need to continue to look out for one another, continue to encourage one another, and we have to continue marching, not only for the young people and older people that are killed by the police, but, you know, the crime, just senseless crime. And not only in our particular communities, because, you know, again, with a lot of these protesters, they are, they set up protests, they go to the Latino communities, they go to the you know, the white communities, you know, to protest. But we're not seeing a lot of white folks showing up. And that's a problem. And what's so interesting is, is that these All Lives Matter people, you know, project their misguided anger on us and say, well, you know, this white person was killed. Where where were you? And we're like, we were there. Where were you? And it's so interesting because some of these people, the only thing they focus on is quote-unquote black-on-black crime. But they never talk about the crime that happens in a white community. And this is why we call you racist. Because if you are only focusing on crimes that are committed by other blacks in in the black community, yes, you're a racist. What about the crime that happens, you know, in white communities by other white people? And so this is why we're not falling for that shit. And good job. Good job. You all did not allow them to change the narrative. And, yeah, there's a whole bunch of shit happening in Chicago that's just totally out of the box. But what I will say is, you know, you have people out here. And one thing I got to tell you guys, because some of you all don't seem to understand this, 
we get tired. The people that are out here, you know, that are active, whether, you know, whatever they're doing, whatever you're doing to be a part of the movement, there is no job too small. Even if the only thing you can do is make phone calls for people. But there is this thing called overkill. There is this thing called burnout. There is this thing called I got a regular life and regular bills and a regular job that I need to get to. And, and, and you know, it's just it's hard. It's hard. And it's a thankless job. And then you have all these cynics running around because with them it's never enough. You have not done enough when they've been sitting around and ain't did shit. Not a goddamn thing. But you want to tell us what we're doing is wrong and how we're doing it is wrong. If you got a better fucking way to do it, step your ass up. And so, and, you know, it's so much, so much happening. You know, it's a lot of names that, you know, that are household names. And there are other names that no one even knows who these people are. You know, And it's a shame because, you know, we live this. We live it. We live it every fucking day, you know. And I hate turning my television on most days. And when I do fall asleep with the TV on, when I wake up, it's usually to some damn body committing some type of act of terrorism or some damn stupid-ass Donald Trump bullshit. And that's one of the reasons why I try not to fall asleep when the TV is on. But, um, yeah, educate yourselves, family. Come on. Educate yourselves. Love one another. You know, black-on-black love, you know, it goes a long way. You know, if you know somebody that's out there that's an activist or a protester, you know, you know, shake their hand, you know, buy them a soft drink, something. Tell them good job. Something. You know, I mean, they need participate participants. They need for people to participate more in what's happening out here. You know, and so yeah, you guys go on out there and um see what's happening and also, you know, we always talk about poverty porn how you have some of these people that, you know, damn near break their neck to take pictures with people that are poverty-stricken or traumatized or what have you. And one thing that I've been seeing often, you know, as far as like the last couple of weeks, people keep putting up pictures of Alton Sterling's son, Cameron. That baby... He's been through a lot. And, you know, you have all these people taking pictures and posting pictures of when he broke down at that news conference and, you know, when he broke down at his dad's funeral. And for those of you that aren't familiar, that young man had to be hospitalized. He had a breakdown. Please allow these people to mourn in their own way. Give them some privacy. Give them some space, some respect. Be there for them. 
But, you know, you got too many people out here exploiting these stories. And there needs to be some pushback on that as well. You know, because when I saw that boy, when I saw him break down at that conference, man, all I could do was, you know, have a long hallway. And I was walking up and down my hallway crying, you know, because it's like, fuck, that baby, you know. And, you know, some of that is kind of tethered to my childhood. But, you know, I, you know, I really have a heart for young people who lose their parents. Usually is when they lose the mother, but in this situation, the way that Alton was killed, just cold-blooded murdered, that was on some bullshit. And to see that young man, oh, my God, I mean, I just get tears every time I think about it. But what struck me, you know, and what just, you know, took me over the top, was Diamond Reynolds, little girl. That little four-year-old. When she was telling her mama, I'm here. And that she was with her. And telling her mama that she had her. That's hard, people. That's hard. That little four-year-old baby is scarred for the rest of her fucking life. She watched them shoot and kill her father. And she was there when her mama started melting down. I'm surprised the police put the baby in the car with the mama, to be honest with you. But I'm glad that they did, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, some hard conversations that um, need to be had. And, you know, these issues are happening, you know, not only in the United States. Let's Let's not be naive. You know, this is happening in other countries as well. And the people in these other countries are standing up with us, marching in solidarity with us. That's important to know people, and it's important that, you know, we reciprocate and that we know what's happening in these other places because this is just outrageous. It's over the top, and, you know, there is no reason why this has become so normal that many of us are just numb to it. That's the problem. Problem. You know, and it's happening at a growing rate. You know, come on. Come on. We we definitely have to do better. But again, also, you know, um, you know, there are a lot of black women that have been killed by the police as well. And what's so interesting is, you know, I tell people it's important for you all to understand that black women and girls are being incarcerated at the same rates, if not more, than black men and boys. They're being killed by the police, too. So I'm just going to rattle off a few names of some women that have had that have been killed by, you know, police activity. You know, we know we have Sandra Bland, and like I said, this is the one-year anniversary 
for Sandra Black, and they gave a beautiful ceremony downtown Chicago this past Wednesday. If you go over to the Chicago Tribune, you can find it. If you look at the show notes, I added a link. So we have um, Sandra Bland, right? We have Karen um, Safuentes and Diana Showman, you know, Rakia Boyd, Tanisha Anderson, Alicia Thomas, just to name a few, Darnisha Harris. Is 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 deep. Melissa Williams, Yvette Smith, Miriam Carey, Tarika Wilson, Jamila King, Natasha McKenna, Latanya Haggerty. Margaret Mitchell, Katherine Johnson, Kendra James, Ayanna Davis, and more. Something has to be done. You know, and Patrice Colors um, wrote an article, and the title of it is, Obama Says Black Lives Matter, But He Doesn't Ensure They Do. Now, this is over on The Guardian, so you can look that up. But Patrice Cullors, C-U-L-L-O-R-S, she's one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. And, you know, there are a number of us that were upset with that farce of a town hall with Barack Obama because no one is addressing the hard issues like the young man they called earlier, and he was talking about, you know, poor people, people that lack an economic base, people who lack, you know, people out there advocating for them. So, um, yeah, you know, and there are a lot of different factors that play into, you know, the reasons many communities of color are in the condition that they're in. And, you know, the black communities and, yeah, the black community in particular, because this is what I know, guys, because this is what I am. You know, our community has been underdeveloped on purpose. And a lot of the wealth that we had garnered throughout the generations was lost in 2007 and 2008. Because as I said before, black people love them some real estate and look at what's happened. And so we need to have these conversations. You know, if, if we're going to have, you know, like she says in this article, true reconciliation requires far more than a casual conversation, of course, but we committed to leaving our families behind to attend because they believe in real democracy. And, you know, not only those three women, but there are a number of other people that are out here, you know, doing the hard work, some really heavy lifting. And we need to understand that. If you get a chance, go out and read the latest um, article from Michelle Alexander in which she addresses, you know, what happened with Alton Sterling and Dallas police. 
And again, like I said, don't get caught up in the hype, you guys. They're trying to change the narrative and, you know, smoke and mirrors. And while it is a shame that, you know, these police officers were slain and these children will no longer have that particular partner, you know, um, that particular parent, I'm sorry. And, um, yeah, you know, we got to stay focused. We have to stay focused. And we have a right to petition the government. You know, we have a right to question the leadership or so-called leadership, also known as misleadership. If you want to find a really good, fun Google topic, go in and put in their black misleadership class. And you will be surprised at what pops up. And so it's really interesting because I like the people over at Black, um, black Agenda Report. You know, some of the articles over there are really outstanding. You know, Bruce Dixon, and, you know, he's doing a great job over there. So look some of this stuff up, y'all. You know, and, you know, she talks about the watered-down message of hope and reconciliation. You know, that hope and change. You know, and I still feel that we lost an opportunity when Barack Obama was first elected, we should have put more pressure on him to make some changes, but we didn't. And that town hall that, you know, was put on, basically, it, it basically boils down to he was there to soothe the fears of mainstream America, of white America. And by having that of black and brown and, you know, yellow bodies in that room, they were, man, let me tell you, well, fuck, I'm just going to come on out and say, you know, we were fucking props. And I understand Erica Garner's anger. They used her as a prop. I mean, how would you feel? It's, it's just, it's crazy. And, you know, and, and, and you got all these people out here, especially some of these mainstream people that, you know, want to say, well, there is no such thing as race. Therefore, there is no such thing as racism. You know, and DJ, I missed your call today. I don't know. Maybe he didn't call in. But I, I need for you guys to go beyond, you know, just the trope that's being trotted out. You need to understand how these banks, how they profit from, you know, the racist policies, from the segregation, from the police brutality. You know, and it's not just banks, it's politicians, and also, you know, um, wealthy whites that own a shitload of property. And, you know, a number of other things out there, you know, the people that own the, you know, the, the, the home protection, you know, services and all of that. I'm telling you guys, do some research, you know. And when I say I'm here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, you know, I'm not challenging you to in-the-box type of thinking, baby, I've been kicked out of a bunch of boxes. So, you know, look, you got to be out of the box. You have to critique and challenge and question everything. 
it's important that you understand that. And what's happening now, we are being set up for the okey-doke. You need to pay attention. You know, there's a lot more that, you know, I want to talk about and go into, you know, but, yeah, baby, you know, they're just, you know, whispering all of this sweet shit in your ear just so that you can become complacent again and go back to sleep. You know, no, no more time for lullabies. No more time for sleep. It's it's time to wake up, get up, do something, make some change. Again, the change that we're looking for is us. It's us. We only we, we can only depend on ourselves. Thought you all would have realized that by now. You know, and some of you get it. You know, so just share it. Talk with people. Bring up these issues. Have these hard arguments. You know, you can start with your you know, with your sisters or brothers or your cousins or your neighbors. When you hear someone saying some old crazy-ass racist shit, shut that shit down. Shut it down. You know, and, um, yeah, this is hard. This is hard. And I don't think people fully appreciate, you know, the type of work, the type of risk that, you know, many people make to facilitate change. And what's so interesting is some of the biggest detractors that we have and that we encounter are the same people who are going to be the first ones in line for, you know, whatever benefits that come from the changes that are being made by those who are out here actually doing the work. You know, some people, you know, they can march in the streets. Hey, you know, nothing but love. You know, as a matter of fact, I know one of the things that I'm going to be doing, because, see, I can't march with these folks. I can't. You know, physically, I'm not able to do so. You know, and, again, the sun is not necessarily a friend of mine, but, hell, I can buy cases of water. You know, hell, if you want want to help, um, Jewel has a sale going on right now, 10 for 10 Gatorade, the big ones. Go. Go buy a shitload of those. Put it in some ice. Put it in a, you know, a chest. You put some ice and some water in there. And when you see them march, hand out the water and the Gatorade to them. You can always go, you know, to the store and buy a shitload of white towels. Hell, if you come up off the right off the right ramp, you got somebody there selling white towels and white socks. Buy some of them, some of the towels. Hand them out to people. You know. Something, we can all play a part in this. And for the, let me tell you guys, and we're down to our last five minutes. The telephone dial-in number is 310-982-4273. 
Again, that's 310-982-4273. going to go into a third hour. I can pretty much kind of feel this happening. So going back to my statement, I bet you all like, damn, she was getting ready to say something, but I just saw the clock. And so I just wanted to make sure people knew that they can dial in and listen in to the rest of the show. You know, otherwise you have to wait until it's done, and then you can catch it after it formats it properly. So anyway, so some things that you all can do, you know, even if you're not able to get out here and protest, even if you're not, you know, afforded the the privilege, if you will, of being identified with any particular group because it's a number of things, your job, you know, whatever, you know, you can tweet information out or whatever. I mean, even if you can't do that, I understand. But when you see the police talking to or pulling over people of color, whether, you know, it's on a highway or on the side of the street or they may be on their bicycles or they may be walking the beat, and especially if it's younger people, you know, or even older, it doesn't matter if they're young or old. It doesn't matter if they're male or female. Stop. You may not, you know, don't necessarily, you know, jump into the middle of it because, you know, we don't need you arrested for obstruction of justice or anything. But stop. There was a story of a young man, and I remember posting that, and after I posted that, that that story went viral. But it is very true. This was a grown black man that was trying to go somewhere to get something to eat. He parked his car, and he was walking to the restaurant, and the police stopped him on foot. And they were standing there and giving him a hard time about, you know, being in that particular area. And, you know, as a matter of fact, he was a college professor of some sort. And, you know, they were questioning him, and he was afraid. And there was a black woman walking by, and he said all he could say to himself was, please don't leave. Please don't leave me, sis. Please stay. And she stayed, and she lingered in the background. And when the police confirmed who he was, they killed all his little lunch breaks, but, you know, they left him alone and gave a half-ass apology. And he walked up to the woman, and he told her, thank you for not leaving. And she said that she it didn't look right. And so she just wanted to watch and to make sure that he was okay. And he asked her for a hug. And she gave him a hug and found out that they had some, you know, they had some of the same interests, that they knew some of the same people. But, you know, she gave him that hug. And when he went back to his car, he sat in his car and he cried. You understand? Come on, y'all. We got to do this. We got to get better. We got to do better. Stop. Look. Pay attention. If you see some indigenous person, some Latino person, some black person, someone who may be identified as a Muslim, even the six, because, you know, they they attack them as well. Stop. Just stop. Make sure they're okay. Make sure nothing happens. 
I am my brother's keeper and so are you. It's extremely important that we understand that. Ah, so we have a phone call. Let's pick it up. Hi, welcome to Black Free Thinkers. May I ask who's calling? Yeah, this is Mazda. And thank you very much for taking my call. I appreciate you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling in. Did you have a question or a comment? Yeah, I have a comment uh, regarding, you know, today's in Baton Rouge. We have four officers uh, uh, killed and three, four people are injured. Uh, That's act of terrorism. And we condemn terrorism everywhere world, worldwide. And uh, also, uh, there is a hostage crisis going on right now in the Burger King at uh, one of the um, uh, in Baton Rouge. Situation is very tense. I mean, yes, we understand. You know, uh, there are some error in judgment uh, everywhere. I mean, we understand that black lives matter, all lives matter, and, you know, when we say all lives matter, everybody's lives matter. So, I mean, uh, the situation must be addressed and situation must come under control sooner than later. Otherwise, this is the way we're going. We are going to see the you know, very mess in our hands. What do you think? Mm-hmm. What do you well, think? Well, okay. Um, and, yeah, you know, you have these issues, you know, that are happening. Like, you know, at the beginning of the show, I talked about Baton Rouge, and there were three officers that were shot and killed. At one point they were saying four, so I'm not quite sure if it's three or four, but there are three officers that have been injured. And so, yeah, you know, that's a tragedy. That is definitely a tragedy, and in regards to, you know, when you say all lives matter, I understand what you're saying, and I'm definitely going to address this next week on the All Lives Matter show. But to me, you know, all lives matter when I hear people saying that there are some of, some of you all who are well-meaning, so I understand that. But there are some people out here who you know, change it to all lives matter because, again, they're trying to centralize the white community as far as this movement is concerned. But to me, the only time all lives matter will have any type of meaning to me is when white people are out here saying all lives matter and they're saying that with their pocketbook, they're saying that while they're marching to ensure that all lives matter as much as their lives. So until until they get out here and they start doing the hard work and they start, you know, carrying and, and deconstructing, you know, this system that has been put in place to benefit them, that is the only time all lives matter will mean anything to me is when they come and they deconstruct you know, the systemic and institutionalized racism that we are facing in this country, when they come out here and they march and they're shot with rubber bullets or they're tear gas or they're dragged off to, you know, to jail, you know, without due process. And, again, talking about due process, 
you know, um, Michael X. Johnson, the guy that they robot bombed, where was the due process with him? And so this is why we have, you know, we talk about all of these different issues, but if black lives truly mattered in this country, we would not have to say that black lives matter. And we're not saying that black lives matter more than anyone else. What we're doing is we're calling attention to a problem that needs to be addressed. We're calling attention to a system that has been put in place and that was constructed purposefully to oppress, you know, certain people of color, more so, you know, black people. And anti-blackness is an industry. There are people that profit from the oppression of black people. You know, a lot of these wealthy, you know, landowners, they benefit from black people being on Section 8, you know, paying, you know, paying money to them directly from the government. They, they, you know, reap big benefits and profits from black people renting their slums, you know, if you will, because a lot of these people do not take care of their property. They benefit from all of that. They benefit from, you know, when a young man called earlier, he was talking about how some of the Arabs and the Koreans move into the communities and set up businesses. You know, the majority of that property is owned by white landowners, so they're still prospering from it. And these are things that we need to talk about. But until white people are willing to put themselves in the, at the, at, you know, the front of the line to talk about these issues and to stand up to this government and say, we're not going to take this anymore. What is happening to people of color in the United States is wrong. And we need to change it. When we have white people standing up and saying that and doing that, then maybe I will entertain all lives matter as a viable, you know, um, hashtag. But until then, not so much because, again, what they're doing is they're, they, when you have other people from other countries come to the United States, you know, there is this thing called the Lautenberg Act. And Dr. Jeff. Jeffrey Perry was on the show and we talked about it, how this had been put in place so that when people from other countries come to America, that they are immediately given, you know, public aid, food stamps, anything that they need to get on their feet and access to resources. But these same resources are not available to poor black and brown people in this country. These are things that we need to confront, we need to deal with and, and, and then we should be able to move on. But no, until I see white people, you know, stepping up and admitting their white privilege and, and trying to bring down this white supremacist system, you know, there is really nothing to discuss because it's a problem. And not only is it a problem in America, it's a, it's a problem globally. You know, what we just saw happen in England with the Brexit vote, that was based purely on racism. And as a matter of fact, um, they were, I saw something earlier in an article, and it was talking about a British minister, you know, one of their officials, is basically putting together the divorce, you know, platform from the EU. And in that particular divorce platform, if you will, there are some people that are going to automatically be kicked out of Britain. So, you know, it's, it's a lot that's happening. It's a lot that's going on around the world. But, yeah, what's happening um, 
right now in Baton Rouge, that's a shame. You know, that should not be happening. But we also got to understand, you know, again, for all we know, those particular people were planted. You know, these could be, you know, more agents, you know, um, being put out there to try to change the narrative. We're not sure. They're saying the shooter in Baton Rouge, they said his name is Gavin Long, and he's from Kansas City. So that's interesting because I'm going to be looking that up, you know, once I, you know, end the show. But, again, yes. you know, uh, we just have to pay attention. But go ahead. Right. Uh, you know, you see, white part of your eye and the black part of your eye work together, you are able to see. As long as the white part of your eye and the green part of your eye or, uh, you know, black part of your eye, for example, you mm-hmm. know, doesn't work together, you are not able to see. Therefore, until for uh, once for all, uh, you know, humanity is one and, you know, uh, racism uh-huh. must be addressed uh, nationally and globally forever, and racism must be diminished from face of planet. I mean, I'm talking right. about think think globally, act locally, and then otherwise, you know, these things which we are witnessing so much of. Uh, tension, high tension everywhere, you know, with Republic National uh, Convention coming, there is lots of tensions, lots of things going on mm-hmm. we, we are going to witness in coming uh, days, and also Democratic Convention as well. So the question is, I mean, mm-hmm. it's up to all of us. To, if you want to get this country great, this country more uh, power, and we will be an example for other countries to uh, to see and learn from us. We have to put our differences kind of out for once for all and look for similarities and end racism. Uh, fully. I mean, whether is I don't want to use black, white, yellow because you know we are all humans. Okay. You know, racism right. against any any humans is uh, should not be permitted in Europe. I mean, people are more right. uh, friendly to each other. More, uh, I mean, uh, uh, really, you see, of Kenyan people in London. You uh-huh. see African people, you are not going to, ah, oh, this person is from Kenya or f- whatever, uh, it's me. You are not going to, uh, over there, you you cannot say N-word to anybody. Uh, now, if you say N-word, then you will be sued, you know, in in Europe. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, is that I agree, we have to work together. We definitely have to work together. And one of the biggest obstacles, you know, is getting white people to, number one, admit that they have white privilege and work to dismantle that particular system. 
so that it's fair for everybody, so that the playing field is fair, that there is racial, economic parity, and what have you. So, no, you're absolutely correct, and what's happening over in Europe is scary. And, you know, and it's happening here in this country as well. Somebody planted a bomb in Central Park, and a visitor was there, and, you know, he ended up having his, you know, you know, right. on it and was hospitalized. Yeah, yeah. His so, leg was cut off. Yeah, yes, we have yes. I, I am aware of Okay, Go so ahead, very please. good. But I thank you for, I thank you for calling in. I appreciate it because it's, it's important that we have all voices, you know, as a part of this conversation. And what you're saying is true. You know, what you're saying, we were going to have to work together. And that's true, you know, but sometimes for the benefit of this country, for the love of this country, mm -hmm. for 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 otherwise, if racism bring more racism, violence bring more violence, and then we will go to race war, uh, uh, possibly, and then we are going to witness uh, a lot of. Uh, you know, weakness in this country, and then the enemies within and enemies without, they are going to strike us, and we are all going to suffer. So, for the exactly. benefit of this I country, agree. we must unite and make this country great once again, forever, and, you know, uh, any act of terrorism anywhere, worldwide, or domestically, is condemned, and people must uh, know that, uh, you know, what you are doing is uh, not good, not good for the country, and it's an American. If you are American, you love your neighbor. And what's so interesting is you said, you know, make America great again. So I'm like, okay, with the exception of Donald Trump using that particular, you know, narrative if you will, you know, um, as far as America is concerned and making her great again, you know, is that subject to debate? If you will, you know, was America ever as great as she professes to have been? Because this country and this economy was built on criminality. It was built on slavery, and until that is addressed, and rectify, you know, it's hard for me to say that America was ever great. And so that's, you know, that's a whole conversation, you know, beyond this here. But, yeah, we're going to have to come together to, you know, deal with these issues. And, yes, Peace, you know, there will be other people. Yes, Peace, tranquility you know, for everybody. Peace, tranquility for everyone. Exactly, exactly. So thank you for calling in. I appreciate you. Uh, can I you. say and something please? Sure. Sure. Can I say something Because you remember you said the Arabs are coming and making uh, businesses, and ninety nine percent, ninety percent of Arabs, Middle Eastern, are uh, Muslims, and they are selling beer, wine, drug, free drugs to the people, and as a result our communities are going to destruct because we, they sell, you know, free, they use us and get rich by giving us the drugs that is free and everybody has access to it. Once you drink beer, wine, and uh, vodka, and then what will happen, 
you do uh, the people will do more crimes more uh, bad things and guess who's going to be arrested we the people of America and uh, that's another thing that I wanted to bring to your attention well, thank so they're you destroying so much. our you country they're there. destroying our country yeah. exactly no you've got well, a mouthful and I'm definitely going to have to do some more research but you know you're always welcome to call in and participate in a conversation and you know you made a lot of valid points and I appreciate your input and so I'm going to put you on hold I appreciate you, home, I, but, I, I yeah, appreciate you. thank you for your time and thanks a lot okay. for allowing me to share thank my you. views in your, uh, yes, your radio show yes, I appreciate there you go. take care hold on all right now all right, so we got another call. This is a call from Atlanta. Atlanta, may we ask who's calling? Yeah, this is Naj. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, just listening. Uh, uh, just to kind of go with the conversation you guys are just having. Uh, yeah, the concept of make America great again. That, that's where we get into these platitudes of American exceptionalism. That have nothing to do with right. reality or history. And it's difficult exactly. to get people out of that thinking because they've been taught that narrative for so long that they consider it true. They never explore it. They never really study. Mm-hmm. They never really challenge themselves. So when you have things exactly. like that, it's really difficult to get them to understand the conversation that's going on right now. So th- these platitudes about, well, if we all come together, if we all do this and that, look, if I go rob my neighbor tomorrow and take all of his money and kick him out of his house and then inhabit that house, if I come back in 10 years and tell him I'm sorry without giving back his house, without giving back his possessions, and without mm-hmm. changing the power dynamic that I've created, I haven't actually done anything. So this whole uh, giving exactly. people cookies for having a racial conversation is not only invalid, <laughs> it's insulting at this point. I get, that, that, that's not going to get it. And, and like you said, this is a right. global problem of inequality and domination by other groups. Like he talked about the, exactly. the situation in Europe where people are, uh, you know, they're less tolerant of bigotry openly spoken, but they haven't given back right. the money to the colonial areas that they dominated, and now they're getting immigrants uh, coming to their shores, and now they're getting mad at those same immigrants that they've been robbing uh, for centuries. So when you're dealing with situations like that and people who are so uh, unaware, and I wouldn't even say unaware, I would say uh, scared of facing truth because truth would actually cause them to realize that they're living on stolen land and using stolen mm-hmm. wealth. And since they don't want right. to come to grips with that, they want to deal with these ambiguous terms and, and you know, this, this unrealistic colorblind stuff that has no basis mm-hmm. in what we actually face. So I, I, I just get tired of hearing that stuff, and I really wish people would grow up. Uh, this, this whole concept of whiteness is something that should be thrown away in the ash can of history. Right. Uh, nobody's exactly. actually white. That's a chosen designation that they took on decades and decades and centuries ago and made it as the rest of the world as non-white something to dominate. That's something they exactly. have to fix. Not something we have to come together and fix. You can get rid of being exactly. uh, white. Say you're, say you're, uh, you're Irish, you're Italian. You're English. You know, go back to whatever ethnicity you actually are and get out of this gang uh, called whiteness that is caused nothing but heartache oh, and, right and shame for the world. 
Oh, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. And, you know, and I agree, which is why I said, you know, the wealth that America has garnered was, you know, garnered, you know, from um, slavery and a number of other things. But, yeah, trying to get people out of that mindset of American exceptionalism and within our community, you know, that talented tenth trope because, again, these are fallacies. And it's just, it's, how can I put it? It gets disheartening after a while, and what I mean by that is, you know, having to have the same conversation over and over. And I agree with you. You know, you have people that are looking at these things, you know, through rose-colored lenses, and, you know, they feel that these that the solutions are simple. No, it's not a simple solution to the problem, but, again, you know, like I said earlier, White people, you know, who identify as white or what have you, they're going to have to deconstruct and dismantle this system that has been built to benefit them. And it's not something that we can do. They have to do it because they're the ones that benefit from it. But what you said, you were spot on. You're definitely spot on and you know, having these conversations, you know, and that's why at the beginning of the show when I was talking about how we have to make sure that whiteness is not centered, that we don't center whiteness in these particular conversations because everything has been centered around them, but now that it's time to get out here and do some real work, then you get these empty platitudes and sweet nothings out here being spoken to us. And it's just, it's, it's like I said, it's just disheartening because, you know, it's to the point where white people don't have to say anything. They have designated black people who will go out there and, and you know, trot those particular tropes and narratives for them. And it's sad. Yeah, it, it, it is sad, and and I, I would add to that, like the situation we're dealing with now, when we're we're discussing police brutality for the first time in a while, it's never stopped. It's actually always gone on. So this is something the community knows. But the, the idea that okay, you don't want black people to be shot, so you're out in the street for black people being shot. But when you go back to the origin, you're talking about over policing in black communities. You're talking about mandatory minimum sentencing. Uh, the uh-huh. Oh, the war on drugs. I'm in Atlanta, so you already know the bike clubs are out on Sunday. Sorry about that. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, but, but the but thing is that what you're saying is correct. You know, the crime bill, so-called war on drugs. Um, you know, again, like I said, our communities were underdeveloped on purpose, and you know, keeping us out of well, basically, we are the ones that are, you know, how can I put it? You know, because I've said a few times on this show about how us in the black community, we're going to have to have that hard conversation as to how we contribute to capitalism and white supremacy. And when we try to unpack that conversation, now that right there is going to be a humdinger. But, no, I mean, you're right. You're right, and it's a lot of things that need to be addressed. But, you know, you know, we got to have yeah, these but, conversations. I mean, steps, it steps, are being ta- right. Right. steps are being taken, but not enough just because, you know, it, it's a kind of a slow awakening because we have to essentially be a nation within a nation. 
uh, that's the only exactly. way we're going to actually be able to, to have our own because everybody else just looks at it as, oh, you know, it's the American melting pot. It's like, no, some people didn't melt in the pot. Some people were always designated this space of redlining, uh, you know, segregation, police yeah. brutality, economic inequality. So un- unless we decide right. we're going to operate as a nation, like you said, hard conversations of where do you put your money? Do you spend in your own zip code? Uh, have you decided you're right. going to try to work and spend all of your money with black people? Now, we have to take on these, these undertakings, and the rest of America doesn't have to do that because they have the, the benefit of somewhat fairness. They have freedom of movement within their jobs and things like that. But when you walk around here right. and you see the discrepancy as far as uh, diversity within every industry, and when they come back and tell you, well, we just hired the best person available, and you realize this person thinks the most qualified always looks like them, you realize how deep-seated that problem is and appeals to their morals aren't going to fix things. It's going to come from us fixing our own side and kind of, I, I hate to say it, but it, essentially becoming our, our own uh, within. You know, so it, it, yeah. it's a crazy thing. I, I love the way you, you just placed that. But thanks for uh, what you're doing with the show, and thanks for letting me on. I you know, appreciate it. Oh, anytime, anytime, and, you know, great comments. And, you know, I definitely, you know, agree with what you're saying. And, yeah, we we have to have these conversations because, like I said, it, quote, unquote, it has begun. And, I, you know, it doesn't matter if you're ready. doesn't matter if you don't understand it. It has begun. So if nothing else, you just need to be prepared for you know, anything and everything. So this week, I really think this week is going to be a major test, you know, to see, um, you know, American resilience, you know, or, you know, what's happening here, especially with the political culture. So anyway, yeah, guy, I oh, mean, oh, I appreciate and, and it. Can I, can, I add just one, can I add just one more thing sure. to kind of tap on to what you just said? And, and also understand, mm-hmm. like, uh, open bigotry and violence has always been correlated to the economy. So economic downturns exactly. have always led to more open aggression and more racist uh, people actually speaking their mind. Uh, there was a study back in the right. day where you could, uh, you could kind of correlate the number of lynchings by the price of cotton. So, you know what I mean? This is something that's, that's kind of sold into the American uh, fabric. So right now we're in an economic exactly. downturn, so we should expect this. You know what I mean? Problem is, when things get a little better as far as the economy, we tend to say, oh, okay, things are changing. And we go for that okie doke, which which is the con. Exactly. Oh, yeah, no, you're quite welcome, and you're absolutely correct. You know, one of the first things that you're taught, you know, at least one of the first things I was taught when I was taking a microeconomics class, it was talking about how war, you know, the declaration of these wars are usually done to bolster, you know, an economy. And, you know, the United States, we're in two, getting ready to go into a third war possibly, you know, with everything that's happening over there in Turkey and Russia and all of that. just want people to keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on what's happening over there. But, um yeah, you know, when when the economy is bad and it's a recession for white people, it's a depression for black people. 
And it's important that, you know, we understand what the mechanisms of these wars are and what happens. And because if you go back and you look into the research before the New Deal, before the New Deal was implemented, there used to be one unemployed black person to one every unemployed white person. After the New Deal was put into place, and again, there were some um, negotiations that went on with the Republican Party um, in regards with the Democratic Party, the Dixiecrats, that, you know, they wanted to make sure that white people still had a superior, you know, um, base than, you know, black people. And that was part of the compromise. So after the New Deal, it went to there was one unemployed white person to two unemployed black people. And that has gone up since then. And that's why, you know, I'm looking at what's happening now and, you know, some of the rhetoric that's coming out of Hillary Clinton's mouth. And if she is elected, I kind of expect them to put some type of policies in place that were like the New Deal. But if you go back and listen to one of my old shows or do the research, and I said, you know, I was talking about the New Deal. What did I call it? New Deal or the Shaft or something like that. I did a show talking (laughs) about the New Deal and how the black community didn't benefit from the New Deal. But what happened was, you know. It was right in the language. It was in the language. Uh, Exactly. It excluded uh, farm workers and domestics, which were the majority of things that black people were working in at the time. And also we were excluded out of the GI Bill uh, coming out of the New Deal. And that set the stage for home ownership and this huge transfer of wealth for white families that created the suburbs. Now, most white people exactly. don't know that exactly. and wouldn't want to face that, but, you know, they want to tell themselves by the grit of their teeth and sweat of their brow, they did this, that, and the third. And the reality of it is they've been the most government-dependent people on this damn planet. But, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Great and point you're correct. Media. Oh yeah, exactly. And that's what I talked about on that show and I was I did it like a three part series on a new deal and I was talking about how, you know, you know, the um GI Bill, how blacks were kept out, how they built those suburban enclaves to, to basically surround the city, which is why I call urban neighborhoods or the ghetto as they call. I call them reservations for black people. Because that's basically what it is, because they dictate where you can get loans. That's where the redlining comes in. And people look at us nuts when we say that the federal government was, you know, complicit or in collusion with the redlining because of the FHA and how they purposefully put black people and brown people in certain areas so that they can keep an eye on them. And it's just, it's really amazing, you know. And I'm glad that you know something about it. Because it's like it's like a testament to you know um, that we've been talking about on this show, and I just want people to go and understand. Like sometimes when you go to some of these cities, one of the best examples is there in Atlanta. When you're on the 285, anything inside the 285 is the city. Anything outside of the 285, those are the suburbs. But if you notice when you're rolling down 285. You see those um, partitions, you know, when you're driving, you know, like those walls. And what a lot of people don't understand is that they built those walls or built those partitions to hide the poverty. And, you know, we try to get people to understand and to go research, you know, about urban planning. 
and how many black neighborhoods were destroyed because they wanted to build a highway through it. And usually that is because of urban blight. So, you know, it looks poor, you know, or that, you know, the houses are run down. The people were living in dire, you know, conditions and what have you. And, you know, and all of that plays hand in hand, you know. So thank you for calling in to talk about it. But, you know, and, and you're right. And like I said, the sweet nothings. You know, we're going to make things better for the black community, says Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And as soon as one of them are elected, they're going to do what some of these progressive liberals and some of these so-called conservatives, conservative Republicans have done. They're going to throw us under the bus and do what's best for them and their cronies. And that is what happens, and we elect them over and over and time again. And it's not just the white ones. It's the blackness leadership political class that does the same thing, which is why I'm giving a side eye to John Lewis, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Andrew Young donated within the ranks, and there's a number of other ones, but, you know, it's 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 daunting, if you will, to see that some <laughs> right. of these old civil... Huh? And, and ma'am, just to add, uh, one of the best metrics to, to study a black politician is to see how long they were in office and if they had a political career afterwards. Because if they went against the grain enough, uh, they would have no chance of reelection and they would also be vilified easily. So those forgotten politicians who worked for us, who didn't last long there, uh, those are always the ones to look to. But these people who hang around because they're willing to make deals and they're willing to uh, basically sell out their constituency, uh, these are people who are not to be respected and are to be rejected. And, and you're right. The, the John Lewis commentary lately has been sickening. Uh, the Andrew Young, yeah. that camera, and that footage of him talking to the police about the protesters uh, kind of lets you know everything you need to know about him. So, yeah, I, I agree with exactly. you 100. Oh, yeah. And but, so yeah. And this is interesting. So now we got President Obama on TV talking about the Baton Rouge police shooting. And I haven't had a chance to really look into a lot of that because I've been doing a show for the past couple of hours. But, yeah, you know, it's a lot. So, like I said, sweet enough, they're promising us the world. But at the end of the day, all we're going to do is get the middle finger. And if you were a good person, if you were a good little Negro, they may put some KY on it. But at the end of the day, that's it, you know, if they get <laughs> their way. And, and the status quo right. reigns. <laughs> you know, right. so and, it, and that's how it goes. So anyway, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. But next week, plantation politics, and instead of sweet nothings, we're going to talk about all lives matter. And, you know, I kind of gave you all some insight to what I'm going to be talking about when I spoke to the last caller. But, um, yeah, you know, we're going to talk about that all lives matter thing and, you know, what's really happening out here in these streets. So thank you guys. Thank everybody that called in, you know, and had something to say. Thank you for listening in, those that catch the archive. We appreciate you. It's a lot to unpack, you know, and, you know, I just can't wait to see what's going on now. But like I said, don't fall for the okie doke. You know, the smoke and mirrors are a very real thing. And so, you know, like I said, with that dude out there in Dallas, Micah X. Johnson, 
why did he have to die? Why did they use the bomb robot to take him out? All of a sudden, he's, you know, that he won't negotiate or what have. But the domestic terrorist assassin that killed all those white, all those black people in that church, not only was he, you know, dealt with gently, they took him to Burger King. And all Hoban's, and they still haven't charged him with domestic terrorism. So, I mean, what is that saying to you guys? So, anyway, next week, all lives matter. All right, y'all. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Take care. Glad to be back. All right, now. Bye-bye.